0: And there's still time. Saturday afternoon and I'm drinking with the guys. Thinking of the day's results and your lovely eyes. Oh football is fantastic.
1: Hello and welcome to episode forty-five of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm Michael McCall and I'm Steve Pounder. I'm joined for our first post-game pod of the season by SI.com contributor Leavey Bird.
0: Hi guys, thanks for having me.
1: Great to have you here, Leavey. And we're we're talking about our really really good first performance of the season for the Whitecaps, four-one victory over the reigning supporter Shield champions. Steve, what did you make of the match? Uh,
2: it was. The first half, obviously, they they were they were controlling the game, but they weren't able to finish. The second half was a complete different story, where they just they basically the Red Bulls had a lot of the ball, but it seemed like they they were just breaking the bound on the counter attack and they finished their shots and a couple of great finishes too, one by Sebastian Fernandez especially and Kenny Miller.
1: Now, Levy, you haven't seen any of the White Caps during preseason games. What what is your initial thoughts of what you saw from the White Caps this afternoon?
0: Well, coming into the season. With a team with a new coach and so many additions in the off season, you're, I'm always going to be skeptical about it. And in my si.com Western Conference preview, I picked the Whitecaps to finish eighth in the Western Conference, and I heard a fair bit about that on Twitter after the game tonight. Can I
2: imagine so. The MLS people were hearing it too about being ranked 18th, yeah, or something like that in their power rankings.
0: Yeah, I mean, coming into the season with so much shakeup in the off season, it's only natural. But at the same time at the beginning of last year the whitecaps showed signs that they could be a good team and then it just sort of dropped off with injuries and and everything that happened And this year again the first game of the season there's there's a lot to be proud of i think if you're a white whitecaps fan and there's a lot of potential there and, and i think sebastian fernandez russell tybert matias laba um, they all had great games kenny miller obviously scored a brace so he did he did well maddox again got his opportunities and just couldn't finish so um, I mean, it's just going to be a matter of putting everything together. But I liked what I saw today, uh, particularly from the from the new boys, from the Uruguayans. Fernandez and then uh, Morales coming off the bench also did very well.
1: We had put our Western Conference predictions up yesterday, and I actually had the Whitecaps ranked 7th in the West. But I do have them anywhere, I think, from 5th to 7th. They're just a bit of an unknown quantity just now. Obviously, it's great to get off to a good start. It's whether they can keep that going. The first ten, twelve games of the season, it's quite a, a tough start. We've talked about this before in the podcast. They kind of had to hit the ground running. They've done that today. It was a really comprehensive four-one victory. I mean, they, they looked comfortable from from the the start. Kenny Miller could have had them one up after just forty-two seconds, and you kind of have to feel if that had come later in the game, he would have buried that chance, and he he could have had a hat trick today.
2: No, that's for sure. And he was he was he was all over the pitch. Maddox was really getting his chances. He at least. Maddox this time got him on target. He, normally, he would shoot, shoot way off, off target. So, it was a good at least he got it on target. One, a couple of questions I had about the Whitecaps, obviously, were uh, where were the goals coming from and chemistry. And it seemed like through this, at least this first game, those questions have already been answered. Now, if they can keep this up, that would be fantastic.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say they've already been answered. I, well, they've been answered in this game itself. I mean, we've seen we, Whitecaps started off 2011. 4-2 victory over Toronto that was horrible <laughs> season they they started 2013 with a, a victory as well yeah. oh, again over Toronto and they didn't make the playoffs so I mean you can't read too much into into the opening day win I think people really do need to keep their feet on the ground a bit and not put too much pressure on the team two away games coming up and that's what's going to be key how they then play on the road do they still keep the same kind of attacking style but you know it, it was a big big Thing going into the game, where were the goals going to come from? Kenny Miller seems to be the answer just now to that question. But then you've got can he stay healthy? What happens when he, his contract's up at the end of June?
2: Now, a quick question for you: like in your opinion, if this is a full strength Red Bulls team, let's magically say that Henri would have played, right? And and Alave is in the lineup, and you got Roy Miller from the beginning of the game. Do you think it's this uh, obviously not this far, but do you think the Whitecaps have a better chance, uh, have a good chance of winning this game, or do you think the Red Bulls would have kept it tighter?
0: Yes and no. I think uh, the big question mark I have for the Whitecaps from watching them play today is is not really their attack, but more in their defense. I mean, there were a lot of opportunities that the Red Bulls got that were kind of half clearances or or just barely dealt with, and I think they need to get a little bit stronger in the back. That being said, I mean. If you get a guy like Olave back there, does does Maddox find as much space as he did? Does Kenny Miller get on the ball as easily as he did? Probably not. So I mean, it just depends. Uh, the things that I look, the thing that I look at positively from this game, especially, was the the patterns of play. The way, if you look at the Portland Timbers at the beginning of last year the people who thought that they had potential could see the patterns of play and what could build from that. And it's a similar thing here with the Whitecaps where you have Sebastian Fernandez, you have Russell Tybert on the wings, you have the guys in the middle causing trouble. And if you can get uh, Morales to the point where he can start and play 90 minutes, shouldn't be a problem because he's not flying all over the world this upcoming week. But if you get him to the point where he can play in midfield and central midfield, I mean, you're, you're looking at, a very dangerous team and and the patterns of play in terms of the the possession that they were keeping in terms of the quick combinations on top of the eighteen yard box and really being able to penetrate get behind the red bulls back line i think were the impressive facts of today's game and there's no reason why that can't continue it's more about the way that they train the way that they're coached and and the way that in training sessions they choreograph these things and and really see if if they can make it consistent and make it into a pattern where it just happens without thinking about it when you get uh, Fernandez Maddox combining on top of the 18 and and slipping Darren Maddox in and and getting that great chance from just on top of the six-yard box. It's stuff like that that can continue.
1: Definitely, and I think you saw the Whitecaps getting behind New York so often today, and Maddox's pace is always going to do that. If Maddox had got a goal today, I think his whole confidence would have been completely different Briefly saw him after the game. Say briefly because Steve and myself were stuck in an elevator for 45 minutes. So we didn't really get to speak to any of the players today or get any audio for, for the podcast. So we'll, we'll bring you some of that next week. But Mattox was downstairs and he, he was upbeat. He ha- he didn't let like the fact that he missed a couple of chances get to him or plaint his head. And I think that's a little bit different from what we saw last season. Because there was a couple of times when he'd had a game where he'd missed a few chances... You could tell by his demeanor after the game that it was starting to play in his head a little.
2: Well, bit. I think he really contributed to, especially in Fernandez's goal, because he in the in that position where he had the ball last year, he would have taken a shot or attacked the defender. Here, he laid it off for Fernandez, who was able to take a touch and then fire up, you know, a shot, a rocket, basically into in the top corner past Rivalds. Ru- so I think, I think. I think that probably kept him upbeat. I think he was given probably positive reinforcement after the game, saying, "You know, you did a good job. You made the right call." And I think that's probably the, one of the biggest reasons why he was so upbeat. And remember, he did—he's coming off international duty where he scored three goals off two
0: games. He's also saying all the right things, and obviously, he had his thing in the off season on Jamaican TV. Where, I mean, whatever you want to interpret that to be. Uh, I just interpret it to be a young player with a lot of confidence and a lot of flair, and that's something that often gets bad press here in in MLS especially. Um, I, I liked it. I liked seeing that from a young player like him, the confidence to say, you know, give me the ball. I want to be the guy. I want, and he's putting that kind of pressure on himself because big players thrive on the big pressure like that. That being said, obviously the way he did it, maybe not spectacular in his decision-making, but... If you listen to him after the game, and I didn't get stuck in the elevator, luckily, so I did get a chance to hear him. And he was very upbeat, and he was saying all the right things in terms of, I just have to keep you know, working hard, I just have to keep my focus on scoring goals and doing the right things for the team. and It seems like he's uh, this could be a good growing opportunity for him, both kind of what he went through this offseason and this season in general. He can build on that, he can learn from it, and he can become a more complete, mature player from it.
1: And Carl Robinson has given him a chance. And that's really what he didn't get, or he what he said he didn't get last year, was he feels that Martin Rooney didn't give him a chance. Carl Robinson has certainly given him a chance. And he just needs to take it. The thing is, if he keeps going a couple of games and he doesn't get goals, you've got Manny pushing him, possibly Salgado, depending on on how things work out with his attitude. Well, you also
2: got Morales, because Morales if Morales starts, he's going to be playing in Miller's spot. Miller's going to move up top too, right? Yeah,
1: that's true. And let, Let's talk about Morales. So Morales made his debut today, came on for Matix in the 65th minute. An assist, a goal, on his MLS debut doesn't really get much better than that.
2: No, it doesn't. And uh, I thought he was like, especially uh, he, he's the one that sent Miller in for his goal, like, just basically lobbed it over the back line, got yeah. it in there. And he did it one other time for Mesquita as well. He, he, he just It was just a quick pass, turn around, and he made the ball fly. And it almost got into Mesquita's pass. Lucky, unlucky for him, the defender was in the way. So he, he knows how to, like, get the ball up the field quickly. And he just, also, when he was scored the goal, he just knew where to be. And I think another guy who really played well there was Nigel Ray Coker on that play. And he really improved in the second half. He had a kind of a quiet
0: first half, but really push the ball forward at the, at the second, but Morales was fantastic, I think, in the game. Seeing the South Americans playing together on the whitecaps reminds me of the Argentinian contingent in Portland, really, in a lot of ways, seeing, you know, you got the like Diego Valeri, you have Diego Valeri, you have Gaston Fernandez, and those guys combining up top with a creative American player like Darlington Nagby, and here you have sort of a similar thing where you have Fernandez, you have Morales, the Chilean. You have Mosquita. You have him combining with another creative type in, in Darren Maddox. You have Russell Tybert on the right side. It's going to be really interesting to see in battles between Vancouver and Portland which team kind of wins out that, that South American battle, so to speak. Uh, there are similar types of players in terms of their creativity, in terms of their ability to play one and two touch, in terms of their ability to combine especially on top of the 18 and and get in behind back lines and cause problems and as we've seen in portland you have wingers who can cut in and take shots here you've got fernandez cutting in from the left almost scoring a spectacular goal in the first half finishing a spectacular goal in the second half russell tybert can cut in and cause problems and you have real Coker pushing up from central midfield there's just a lot of a lot of attacking ability on both of those teams and I think when you see them playing against one another it's it's gonna be interesting to see who can win that battle. And I think one guy
2: that really allows them to attack too is a guy like Laba, uh because he's he's winning all the balls in like deep in the midfield uh near their box and quickly pushing it back up and those guys have a little bit more freedom because they know this guy's gonna be able to win those battles in the midfield.
1: One thing I, I wanna say about the Uruguayans is after the Portmore game down in Portland Kyle Robinson is trying to encourage him to shoot more. And I think we saw today, not just from Fernandez but also Tybert, that they were trying some more of the long-range shots, which we didn't see in the pre-season games. They were more kind of passing it around. We didn't see those shots. And, I mean, Fernandez had a couple of really good long-range efforts. It was the one that Robles tipped over in the first half and the one that ended up in the net in the second. And if you're bringing that now into the, the Whitecaps' armoury, Last season, you had Kofi that was trying to do that, and his shots were so wild. Some of them were on target, some of them were flying over the bar, and he just didn't know where they were going to end up. So again, early days, but I mean that looks more promising that you've got people that are also now providing a long-range threat.
2: Now, does that uh, getting those shots from on target from distance does that help also with them keeping the defenders a little closer to them, so then they can move around them a little bit more, so they're not. Always like hanging back the defenders and they're just not waiting for them to just attack them. So you, you kind of get you're basically not set in one way of defending. You you keep the defender guessing. Is that a good
0: idea of why to do that? Yeah, I would say that that's one reason. If you mix it up with defenders, uh, you have to be able to you have to be able to play off of what they give you. So you take a couple of long range shots. They might mark you a little bit tighter higher up. That opens up space in behind. Quick combinations can get in behind at the same time. If you're playing a lot of short passes trying to get in behind that way then maybe they sit back a little bit and then that opens up space kind of in that area on top of the 18 just outside the box and you have to be able to utilize that space as well it's just a matter of this is where you come in and we talk about You know, soccer, football, as being a chess game. It's really more of a game of chess than checkers. You can play it like checkers and try to lump the ball over the top all the time and win by brute force. Sometimes it falls for you, sometimes it doesn't. As you see with the San Jose Earthquakes, a couple years ago they won the Supporters' Shield. This year, I think everybody's kind of figured them out, and I don't think they're going to surprise anybody even with their smash-and-grab style. And They'll win a few games on the off here and there, but I don't think you'll see the kind of dominating performances that you know, and also winning at the last minute like it did so many times in that year that they won the Supporters' Shield. I mean, they were good at playing over the top. They were good at playing direct smash-and-grab type of soccer, and that's the kind of stuff that teams do in the last minute when they're desperate and need a goal. What I think you'll see with a team like Vancouver, if they continue this trajectory, is you'll see a team that can dominate a game through possession. You'll see a team that, just like Portland last year, can have the ball, can dictate the game, and can really take the game to opponents. Now, just like Portland last year, the if you can't defend, then that kind of falls apart in the end because you need to be able to defend to win games. You just have to be able to defend. But as long as the Whitecaps can defend, with the way that they've set themselves out in this first game, they do certainly seem to have a lot of attacking ability to create chances on the other end. And if you create a majority of chances, more times than not, you're going to put one, two away, and that should be enough to win a game.
1: Last couple of things I want to mention about the the game today. Obviously, a lot was made before the game about the replacement ref. There had been issues with him, his fitness in the past, and he was a little bit card happy at times today. And that is a thing he he had sent someone off. Well, he sent two people off in one of the games that he'd done before. He hadn't done an MLS match since October 2012. On the whole, apart from him maybe being a little bit quick to to make some bookings especially both the Whitecaps fullbacks I actually think he had quite a good game it was decent I thought he was going to make more mistakes he obviously he didn't make
2: the penalty call we know that the linesman made the penalty and call and he was
1: spot on with it
2: yeah because uh, luckily that was called for the Whitecaps other than that I didn't notice too much he, he seemed to any kind of physical play he seemed to call right away um, so that was I guess but the, that the refs the have
1: been told as well this year that they've to clamp down a lot more in physical play and especially in the box if there's any like arms around people and tugging, they're, they're mm-hmm. wanting to call those more.
0: Well, I think you did see referee abio Colaja, who he was the 2004 MLS referee of the year. That was obviously a while ago, and since then he's had his issues, like you mentioned. He, he failed a mid-season fitness test and got banned for the rest of the year, one season, and has basically fallen off the map since then in terms of refereeing. But you did see him clamp down quite a bit on the directives that the league wanted to see, the seventh minute yellow card to Stephen Betashore was harsh, I thought, but if you look at it, what it was called for was he was impeding a player. He was reaching out, grabbing onto a player's jersey, and keeping him from getting in behind. That's one thing they really wanted to clamp down on. Uh, you see the other things. I think Armando's yellow card in the 31st minute was the result of a veteran move by Jay Demerit. I saw him maybe f- five or ten minutes earlier in the referee's ear about studs up tackles. Next thing that happens, Armando goes in studs up. foul gets called and he gets booked for it so uh, I, I don't think that he had a terrible game let's put it this way Okulaja didn't have any worse of a game than any normal MLS ref would have and it really seemed like he was clamping down on the directives that the league wanted to see his fitness was a little bit of an issue maybe we were just hypersensitive to it but he did seem to be behind the play quite a bit and I would have liked to see a second angle on the penalty replay. It didn't look like there were any cameras on the opposite side to to get a better view on just the circumstances surrounding the handball in the box. The assistant referee was in a perfect position to make the call, so there's no reason to think that he would have made a mistake. But it also would have been nice to see a second angle on that after the fact.
2: The one thing I saw about the penalty call, I, I, I like, I don't. Again, I don't. Know, we're not sure where he hit him, but is essentially, put up his hands when the shot came in. I think if, if anything, it gave a kind of a sense that he was trying to reach for the ball or something. Whether it hit him somewhere on the chest or in the stomach,
0: I don't know, but. Definitely, you're right, it would have been nice to see a different angle. It definitely hit him in the hand, there's no doubt about that. It's just a matter of, again, just... Foot to ball, foot to hand, or hand to foot, yeah. Exactly, just the, the ruling, the exact wording of however you want to do the laws of the game. Was it hand to ball, ball to hand? Was it an unnatural position? All the things that we've been told to look out for these days, I mean... Uh, it would have been nice to see a second angle on that. But again, the referees don't get a second look at it. The, the, the AR called it in real time. He called it as quickly as he could. And there's no reason to think that he didn't make the correct call.
1: Now, I'd seen two games today. The, the Whitecaps won the Seattle one. The ref in the Seattle game as well. He seemed to have a good game. I didn't have any issues with that. This is a chance for these guys to, to go out and perform and to show what they've got because they could get contracts out of this. One thing I did notice, especially in the first half, New York, whenever there was a decision, either way, for either team, they were right in the face of the referee, which is obviously something which you're not going to do, you're not going to crowd him, but they were right in his face, and I think you're going to see a lot of that this weekend, and the longer that this goes on, that there's maybe going to be a lockout, players are going to think if they can put pressure on these guys and get in their faces, they might get some decisions your way. And as you mentioned there, Lee View, it's like Jay Demerit spoke to the referee about Armando's tackles and then five minutes later there's another tackle and, and he gets booked. so the veteran players will kind of know a little bit how to work these guys but the
2: thing is on that one the, the studs were really high up well, yeah. it wasn't even
1: like close to being like a little bit at
2: the ankle it was like basically if if Darren Maddox was a little bit more well endowed he would have been even you know, sprawling on the ground I'm surprised he wasn't sprawling on the ground yeah. Could show Mario, it wasn't Carlisle Mitchell or Terry Dunfield
0: at the same time, though, you look at these guys, the referees that they've brought in, they're all experienced referees. They've all refereed at the, either in MLS or at a higher level. The referee in the Sporting KC Seattle game, Alan Kelly, was a FIFA-certified referee from Ireland. In the last year, he did Champions League games involving Bayern Munich. So, I mean, it's not like these guys are just pulling in off the street and saying, here's a whistle, go have fun. You know, these guys know what they're doing. They've been paid to do this. They're professionals. They might be a little bit rusty, most of them. But maybe after the first couple of weeks, we'll see them, if they get a chance to, we'll see them improve their standard.
1: So the final thing I actually want to mention about today is after the game, fans won't have seen this, but Carol Robinson has introduced something which we never saw from Martin Rennie. He wants the players to retain fitness, especially the ones that weren't playing. So he had a mini scrimmage for all the players that didn't see minutes today out on the pitch at BC Place after the game. And that went on for possibly 20 minutes, half an hour. We, and we don't know because we were in the elevator. We just saw the tail end of it. I'm kind of guessing <laughs> it went on for a bit that. But, I mean, the, it was a fast-paced game, and the, it was like a half-pitch half, half pitch that they were playing. But, I mean, that's good. He's just introducing all these new things to kind of keep all the players involved in game day, to keep them all fit, to keep them all sharp. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this works.
2: Well, this is a good thing because, look, S- Sunday they get a day off, obviously. Monday... It's usually light training for the starters, so even the, the, the reserves or the whatever you want to call them are not going to get that much playing time with everybody. So this is a good thing that Saturday, because if you go Friday, you would have two days off. It's a good thing for those these guys that didn't play to get something under their belt in
0: training-wise. When I was in college, we did this a lot where we would have a game the next—it was usually the next day— um, the night of the of the match, if you didn't play a lot of minutes, you might do some sprints, you might get some fitness work in, depending on the point of the season and how everybody's feeling. The next morning in training, we would usually break off. The starters would do something very light, and then the, the reserves who who didn't play, and I was usually in that group because despite playing college soccer, I wasn't ever that great of a player. Um, so I was usually in the reserves group, and, and it was always a spirited competition between guys who you're you're fighting for playing time. Even even in those little things that fans don't see it, you know, it's outside of normal training in a way. You you get a bunch of guys who want to be on the field. They just saw their team win four one against the defending supporters shield winners. These guys are gonna be motivated to say, you know, I should be on that field, I should have been a part of that, I should have been the one scoring two goals, you know, whatever however they're gonna see it. And the only way for them to, to show that is is to do it in training in front of the coaches. You saw Carl Robinson walk out there. That he was, he, There were no illusions about whether they were being watched, whether it was just a kick around or whether it was serious. He was standing at half field, arms crossed, watching the game. I mean, these are opportunities for those players. For an Omar Salgado who, who's been out and hasn't really had an opportunity, this is a chance for him to show the coach that, yes, I can play, yes, I am ready, you better put me on the field. And that's really what these games are about and at the same time like you say it is about maintaining fitness so maybe the losing team in they'll play a two-minute game the losing team has to run a certain number of sprints they'll play another two-minute game the losing team has to run a certain number of sprints and that's just kind of it instills a sense of competition and instills I mean you already have a sense of competition if you're at this level but it instills a constant sense of competition that you're always fighting for your spot you're always fighting to to stay on the field or to get on the field
1: Definitely, and like I say, it's something we haven't seen here before in Vancouver, so let's see how that works as the season goes on. Now we're just going to finish the podcast with just a little bit of a quick chat about how we see the MLS Western Conference shaping up. So the Western Conference is is going to be tight again. No getting away from that. We did our preview on AFTN yesterday where Steve and myself both had LA Galaxy as, as winning the West. I actually had them winning the MLS Cup as well. Steve, you went for. I went for RSL over Philadelphia. So you think RSL is going to somehow get over th- LA in the playoffs?
2: Yeah, I just think I, th- I think the the continuity is there, and I think the fact that they hired an assistant, uh, the same assistant that Jason Christ had, they're not going to lose very much, and I think yeah, maybe they have a slow start, but I think as as the season goes on,
1: they'll probably get stronger. Now, leave you. You did your preview for SI.com. Share a little bit with us, who who do you see winning the West and how do you see the West kind of taking shape this season?
0: Well, my predicted order of finish in the Western Conference was Portland, LA, RSL, 1-2-3, Seattle, Dallas, Colorado. I put Vancouver 7th above San Jose and Chivas. So Vancouver was, you know, not... In the top half, not predicted to make the playoffs it might change a little bit based on this weekend. My predictions moving forward, but at the same time, I just saw problems with the uh, what Steve mentioned the continuity with a new team with a new coach, a lot of new players. The difference between RSL being that yes, it was an, an assistant coach who was hired just like at RSL but rsl didn 't change really any roster spots. They have pretty much the same exact team coming in that they had going out of last year when they made MLS Cup final. Vancouver changed a lot. They brought in a lot of foreign players. Sometimes it takes those foreign players a while to get used to the league, to get used to playing on turf, to get used to everything. A lot of travel, so it's always tough to to know how new players are going to accommodate to the league. At that being said, I mean the top three I see is being fairly solid and set: Portland, LA, RSL, in some order, I believe. That's who. Yeah, the top that's three. who I have
2: for my top three as well.
0: In some order. Maybe the Sounders I, can I, sneak in there. It just it depends on if they can get Clint Dempsey to, to fire in all cylinders, if they can you know, put, put a run together of wins instead of losses like they had last year. Showed some good potential today. They won in, in the 94th minute on just a scramble in the box, essentially. But the game with Kansas City was always going to be scrappy just because that's how those two teams play. So if they can get some form going, if they can make a run, if they can knock off some of those other top teams last year the main problem they had was they would win against the lower teams and then they'd come up against LA or RSL and and lose and late in the season they were also losing to Portland and then obviously in the playoff series Portland dominated them so it's just a matter of how they perform against those other top teams
2: now the one one team I I, uh, we both have also in the playoffs is FC Dallas yeah I,
1: I had them at fifth as well
2: and I I think the addition of Pereira is going to make a big difference because they have gotten younger. Castillo who's kind of not done everything that DP, obviously he's young too uh, but Mauro Diaz as well and then um, I think uh, Henry Thomas, the hunter and holding midfield, I think he's going to make a big difference on their team.
1: I I think Dallas are going to do well and I think they're going to surprise a few people The last two years they've been unlucky not to get in the playoffs 2012, Whitecaps pipped them for a lot of it, it was kind of in Dallas' own hands and they just didn't kind of get over the final hurdle with, with Vancouver and freefall Last year, there's no way that Dallas should not have made the playoffs after the start that they had. And when you look at that base, and I know a lot of the players have left, but with Perea coming in, I think he is a fantastic coach and I think he has what it takes to turn the team around to be playoff contenders. And that's going to make it hard for Vancouver because you've got a team that didn't make the playoffs last year pushing to get in I think they will get in at the expense of Colorado who I actually had down as 8th in, in yes, my prediction that's where I had them yeah. yeah and for for me Seattle is, is the big mystery it's like as you say leave you, I mean you don't know are they going to click is Dempsey going to be firing all cylinders they're, they're going to be missing some players when they the World Cup's on how much of an impact is that going to have I, I still think that they're going to have enough to get into the top 3 and Portland for me they're, they're a quality side. I think it's going to be tough for them to kind of do what they did last year and keep that going. Can Ricketts, for example, have another phenomenal season where he, he basically keeps everything out? And can the guys... I mean, they had four guys that I think between them had nine and ten goals. And just that contribution to, to the team dynamic, which is what the Whitecaps are looking for this year, they have to keep that going. We're, we'll get a good gauge after the, the first month of the games... Shavis is an unknown quantity. Obviously the White Cats play them next week. They're gonna play on Sunday. We don't know what they're gonna to bring to the table. They'll take some points off some teams. Hopefully, from a White Cat's point of view, it's not us. We've struggled we've struggled against them really for the, the first few years. Yeah, we draw
2: points definitely to them, there's no doubt, especially the home game late in the season when everybody expected them to win and they drew two two on a last second goal behind him so, yeah, Shivas they're, they're, is an unknown quality, like you said, but until they prove otherwise, you've got to still put him at the bottom of the table in the Western Conference.
0: Yeah, Oscar Perea's return to FC Dallas is really no surprise. I mean, he was a director academy director of the academy there. He was he played a good chunk of time there uh, at the end of his career, and, and they loved him there. And, I mean, the second that Colorado lost in the playoffs, you had to think, well, Charles Heineman's out. Oscar is really the only guy who can replace him. I couldn't see anybody else stepping in and filling those shoes. And like you say, they did get younger. And the thing about that is Pereja really empowered his young players in Colorado. And that they really, Dylan Powers, Deshaun Brown, really carried that team into the playoffs. And I had FC Dallas finishing fifth and Colorado sixth this year to get into the playoffs. I mean, other interesting signings. David Teixeira, the, the young designated player, he spent the last three years in the Eredivisie in Holland. Um, he started the majority of his team's games there, and, and two seasons ago, uh, he fell out of favor last year, only made six appearances, and he only scored once. If he can put it together, if he can find some form in MLS, I think he could be a good player. And just Oscar Pereira is one of those coaches who, he, he's an interesting He's an interesting coach and like Caleb Porter he seemed to really get a lot out of his players. The thing about Portland I think that you might be overlooking a little bit Mike is the fact that they do have Caleb Porter. They, they have the Caleb Porter effect. Yeah. I'm kind of a, a big believer in that. The just the amount of every player he had last year had a career year. I think every player on that roster had the best year of their career under Caleb Porter. He's said constantly that they're not they're looking to take another step forward. I mean it, Last year, if we can call it, it was Porterball 1.0. I mean, he, he was just getting in. It was his first year. He built something really impressive, one of the best turnarounds in league history. This year, we're going to see Porter Ball 2.0. You see a couple more Argentinians come in, a couple more creative players. You get you know some of the, the more dead weight out, so to speak, and you get in a player like Steve Zakawani, who's familiar with Porter, played for him at Akron. You get other players like that around him. Uh, if you can get, again... Zach last couple, he had a great first year coming in for Seattle, broke his leg, hasn't really been the same player since. Same effect, I think, could apply to him, though, where Caleb Porter could get him to have the best year of his career this year. And I, I just, there's something about the way that he coaches that he gets his team firing on all cylinders, he gets all of his players to buy in. And they all love to play for them because they play an attractive style of soccer. They play; f- it's fun to play that way. They play fun soccer from both a, a playing and a viewing perspective. They just play a very good game, and I think it would be it would be foolish to overlook them both in the West and in next year's Champions League as well.
1: Yeah, when when Portland came here last season, I I went into the Portland dressing room and I, I spoke to to Caleb Porter and I spoke to the players. And the one thing that comes across is they're all on the same page. And the players completely play for Porter. And Will Johnson said it. Donovan Ricketts said it. And it's like they all all believe in what he's trying to get at the end of the day. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that in Vancouver with Carl Robinson and that the players are buying into what he's wanting to achieve. And, yeah, Caleb Porter, I thought when he first went there, Portland got off to a little bit of a sluggish start. And I thought, has he been a little bit hyped? Because I, I didn't know tons about him. Followed a little bit of the college game, and I knew he had done well. But I didn't know if he would make the transition and, or if he was being a little bit overhyped. But I think he showed that having a manager with that kind of buy-in, it, it's like having an extra man sometimes on the pitch.
2: I understand. My only concern with Portland is, they, like you said, they had all had career years is it how easy is that to duplicate again and and then also whenever you see a coach who takes a team like we saw with martin Rennie took a team from uh from you know the bottom of the table in 2011 to the playoffs in 2012 there's always a little bit of a slippage and i i haven't been third that's you know that's obviously a slippage there but i i just there is going to be i find it always with coaches and maybe he'll prove wrong but i think coaches sometimes with that have a big jump. Will drop just a bit lower than what
1: they had the year before. Definitely going to be another fun year in the in the West. Going to be a lot of fantastic games. Just finally, for this little bit, let's just let's get some predictions on the board. Who you think is going to be in the MLS Cup? I went for Los Angeles Galaxy winning over Sporting KC. Steve, I had
0: RSL over the Philadelphia Union. And leave you. I've got Portland winning over New York. I think this is the year New York finally makes a deep run into the playoffs. Last year, obviously, they got their silverware in the supporters' shield and then didn't make a deep run into the playoffs. This year, I think they might be able to put it together. And then Portland, like I said, I'm just a big believer in what they have going on there. And and I think Caleb Porter is going to find a way to... I didn't really feel like that team reached its ceiling last year. I feel like they got very close to doing something special without ever really reaching the top of their game. And I just, I don't think that usually, Steve, you're right. Usually there is a bit of a drop off from teams that have great first seasons under a coach. I just, I don't think that they're done building yet. I don't think that we saw them at a hundred percent yet. And I'm I'm excited to see it because I think we will see a winning team that, that wins, like I said, not only MLS Cup, but I think they could make a deep run into the Champions League like RSL did in 2011.
1: I actually had New York when I did my predictions for Sockley. I had New York winning in the East. But I just think Kansas City, for whatever reason, New York just seemed to struggle in the playoffs year after year. I just think Kansas City, with that experience now of winning last year, it will take them into the final. For me, though, it's just hard to see past LA. If Robbie Keane has the season that I think he's going to have, where I can see him winning the Golden Boot and the MVP, for me... he's he's going to take them to another MLS I don't sleep
2: on Zardes either. I think he's going to have a really good year this
1: year. So we'll see how that plays out. All we know is the Whitecaps have got off to a great start with their first kick. This is our first post-game pod of the season. We're going to be doing this after every home game, and we hope to have a rotating third guest every week so it's not just Steve and myself analysing the game. Before we go, just quickly round the table, let's let everyone know where they can find you online. Steve? I'm, you can find
2: me online at Whitecaps Beat and Ralph Witzey, writing for AFTN at Canadian Soccer
0: News. And leave You You can find me at leave you Bird on Twitter, that's L I V I U B I R D, and soccer.si.com.
1: And you can find me, Michael McCall, on Twitter at AFTN Canada. You can find all our stuff, AFTN, on Canadian Soccer News, AFTN.ca. And you can also read some of my stuff on Soccerly.com. First game of the season, always an exciting time. It's a time that supporters all around the world really look forward to. There's a lot of hope, there's a lot of anticipation. The Whitecaps have delivered today. 13 straight years now that the Whitecaps have not lost an opening day fixture. Tough thing now is to follow that up with two road games. First one is coming up against Sheevas. We'll see how that goes and we'll bring you all the latest during the week and watch out for Steve's preview show on Friday. So as always, thanks for listening Take care, and mourn the caps. One day, I shall come back.
2: Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs, and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine.